Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Product Marketing Life podcast, which is brought to you by Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Bryony Pierce, and I'm the content manager here at PMA. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Product Marketing Festival. For those of you who haven't heard about it yet, it'll be coming to a screen near you between June 8th and June 14th, and will be featuring headline acts from companies like Amazon, Uber, Adobe, and Facebook talking about everything from research all the way through to optimization. To get your ticket, just head over to the site festival.productmarketingalliance.com. In this episode of the show, we'll be speaking with Jeffrey Vossel, a senior product marketing manager at HubSpot, about everything from best practices that are just bad, what skills product marketers should focus on if they want to move up the ladder, the problems the industry faces, and a ton more. Jeffrey started out at HubSpot back in 2014 as a product marketing manager, progressed to principal product marketing manager 12 months later, and has held his current title since April 2019. Anyway, enough from me, and before we get stuck in, welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to to chat with you um, and uh, excited to to be chatting about product marketing, one of my favorite topics. You're very welcome, and it's our pleasure to have you here. So the basis of today's part is to kind of help people understand a bit more about you, your drivers and the learnings you've gathered throughout your career in HubSpot. So first off, if you could go back to the start of your product marketing career, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I think a lot of times, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Where uh, if if we could go back and do it all over again, we would. Uh, certainly fix some mistakes that we, we maybe made or, uh, apply a different strategy to something that didn't, you know, work out as well as we had thought originally or, or had hoped. Um, uh, that being said, um, I, I would, uh, spend as much time as I, as I could on the fundamentals. Um, I, I really truly think that to be a, a phenomenal product marketer, um, you need to be a great storyteller. You need to be uh, great at managing and influencing a lot of uh, variables and people. Um, and a lot of that starts with the fundamentals of writing, telling a great story, understanding your product, asking great questions. Um, and to, to do those things, you need to practice them time and time and time again. Uh, and as you grow in your product marketing career, um you 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 tend to get uh slightly further away from some of those fundamentals uh in my position managing a team um uh i spend maybe less time you know writing positioning and more time uh reviewing positioning being written and providing feedback and comments and so i've had to kind of force myself into into a writing habit uh as well uh to to ensure that that skill set doesn't uh doesn't go stale so to speak yeah. and and i don't i don't lose that so um uh to to answer your question i i really would say that focusing on the fundamentals and and getting surrounding yourself with people who are who are really good at that is um is the best thing you you can possibly do yeah sure thank you and then can you pinpoint at all any sort of mantra or belief or behavior or tip or anything that's most influenced your product marketing journey? This is a great question. And, and something that um, a lot of uh, candidates I interview and a lot of other aspiring product marketers I talk to ask a question pretty similar to this Um and one of the things I think is a is a pretty common trait amongst all of the product marketers here at HubSpot, um, but also a lot of product marketers that I've talked to uh, out in the, the industry as well is uh, curiosity. Um, and what I mean when I say that is a curiosity about, um, you know, why people make the decisions that they do, why people use specific products, how products work, why products are built the way that they're built. Um, uh, how users flow through those products and how they, how they use them, how their, you know, day kind of functions, um, why they do the work that they do. There's, there's a million different questions that you could, uh, kind of unravel from that. 
but the, the the point of the matter is is like having that curiosity to truly dive deep into into that i think a lot stems from that right um as product marketers we need to understand our uh, our market and our buyers incredibly well arguably better than virtually anybody else within uh the the, the respective companies that we work for um and uh if we understand them if we truly understand them at at that level uh or, or maybe I should say to understand them at that level, we need to have a curiosity about them and an empathy to understand what they're going through day in and day out. And I think that really truly starts with curiosity. Um, and I did mention empathy there uh, as well. And I, I think that's kind of a, a core component um, to this. So that that curiosity will lead to questions, which will help result in um, uh, having the answers and the data and the information that you need to create great positioning or tell great stories or have great social proof for your launches. Um, so, uh, and, and going back to also the fundamentals, I, I think this, this truly helps with, with the fundamentals as well. And, you know, starting from a good place of asking great questions, surrounding yourselves with really great product marketers or great uh, people, great professionals. Um, so I would, uh, I would start there. Yep. And would you say that curiosity, curiosity element, is that something that's kind of innate or is it something you can learn? And how how would you learn something like that if you can? Yeah, I think um, I think for, for some it feels innate, um, but I really do truly think it, it can be can be learned. Um, uh, I have uh, five children and uh, one of my sons, uh, his name is Maverick, and he loves to uh to build legos he's he's uh he's eight years old right now and he so he loves to build legos but he also loves to like deconstruct things and figure out you know how they work um and that's uh that passion for uh you know truly figuring out how something works i think can start at a very young age um like him and can carry through into your adult and professional life as, as well, but it doesn't have to be that way for, for everybody. Um, it certainly can be a learned skill set. And, uh, I've been fortunate and lucky to surround myself with a lot of uh, great professionals, um, who I've learned from throughout the course of my career, um, and learned, uh, you know, how to, to ask some of those questions. Uh, reading a lot of, uh, a lot of books has certainly helped me, um, uh kind of inform that as as well um but i i do truly think it, it can be learned for for some it is a kind of an innate skill set that it feels like maybe you're you're born with or maybe you just develop at a very young age mm-hmm. um but i i do truly think it can be learned um and if if you if you focus on truly understanding uh you know what is driving the the, the person that you're talking to or the company that you're talking to and understanding them rather than trying to serve just your own goals, um, then that will result in asking some great questions. Uh, not every question you ask may be uh, great, but uh, you will ultimately get to some really great questions that will result in likely the answers that uh, you, you need or, or maybe want. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for that. And then next up, can you think of any bad examples or bad practices um, that you hear in the industry and you wouldn't recommend others to replicate? Ooh, yeah, this is a fantastic question. I think a lot of times everyone is looking for a shortcut to their career. They're looking to uh, figure out how can they get that next promotion more quickly. They're looking for, um, you know, how can I get this two weeks worth of work done in one week or or whatever the case may be. They're they're looking for, you know, a, a copy and paste solution and that immediate gratification. Um, and uh, what I would say is that um, uh, the best practices that somebody else has um, may not work for you. Um, a lot of times best practices that are kind of published online be, via blog posts or uh, any any sort of content um, don't have the full context of what that individual was going through or what the situation was and how they applied um, uh, those strategies to to truly work to address the, that scenario mm-hmm. and the the situation that maybe you're going through or the product that you're working on launching um, or 
or, or updating maybe uh, maybe a lot different. And so blindly taking that best practice just because it's labeled with that term, uh, you know, might not ultimately work very well for for you or your launch or your career. Um, and so really what I would say is like putting in the hard work is is super important. Um, I don't have one. Uh, one bad example of a, of a best practice to, to pick on necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, uh, you know, you need to be careful, um, follow, blindly following best practices because, um, a strategy or a situation that worked well for somebody else, uh, may not apply to your product, may not apply to your market, may not apply to your company overall. Even within HubSpot, just to, just to use a, an example here, um, uh, we have product marketers who, you know, work on our uh, sales hub um, and other product marketers who work on our service hub. And and I personally work uh, quite a bit on our marketing hub. And um, although we are fundamentally a part of one company and share a lot of information between all of us, um, we we also recognize that the personas of the people that we're going after and and uh, messaging to are fundamentally different. And so some of the best practices, so to speak, that I may use um, may be very, very different from some that my colleagues will use because it just doesn't make sense to uh, that that like sales folks will not interact and read content in the same way that a marketer will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those best practices don't necessarily like carry over very cleanly between the the launches or the content um, or the messaging that that we're working on. So again, I would just you know be very careful with best practices. Um, I think you can take some insights from them um, and you can apply them to to your own learnings. That's that's not to say all best practices are useless, mm-hmm. but I would be careful with them and don't you know, blindly trust them just because it's labeled as a best practice. Yeah, it's interesting as well that you say this, uh, that best practices one. I was at Product Marketing Worlds event um, in December last year, and I can't remember who the speaker was now, but someone did a whole segment on best practices and how it can be quite dangerous sometimes because people blindly follow these best practices, thinking it's kind of a gospel guide to success, whereas it's not. And sometimes the term best practice is actually quite loosely used. Um, I've seen, for example, brands on the website, they've done kind of X experiment. It's worked well for them. So they'll put on their website as a blog or a guide, for example, here's our best practices for X, Y, or Z. And like you mentioned, there's so many different variables that come into play, whether or not that's going to be a success. Um, So, yeah, I completely agree with that one. That's a really good point. Yeah. um, I mean, these are probably labeled like, hey, this is what worked for this specific scenario for this specific market at this specific time. Um, But as as every product marketer uh, knows or, or, or hopefully should know, um, you know, your, your buyers are evolving every single day. Um, maybe they're moving from a more analog world into a more digital world and, uh, they're, they're changing. Maybe they're already, uh, digital natives and they're, they're buying and they're becoming, you know, more used to buying touchlessly. Whatever the case may be, uh, their habits are, are changing, um, you know, day over day, month over month, year over year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, just blindly following some of those best practices, that somebody else used at some point in time um, may not result in the the effect that you that you truly want. Yep, I completely agree. And then next up, if someone is looking to move up the product marketing ladder and could only focus on one skill, what should that skill be and why? Yeah, fantastic question. I ultimately I would say positioning, right? And, and positioning en- encompasses a lot of different things. Um, so maybe that's a, a little bit of an unfair answer, but um, uh, if, if if there is one core skill set that you that you need to truly uh, do a do a great job at within product marketing, it's it's positioning. Um, and so to to break that down a little bit further, um, I think you need to to practice the fundamentals of um, of research, um, and whether that means you have a research team internally, or maybe you work with a third party research team to get insights about your market. Um, uh, then you know, understanding the right questions to ask to truly understand the the buyers and the broader pain points and the broader problems within that market is is an important um, uh, kind of skill set that you need to have. 
uh, and will ultimately get you to the right positioning and get you to the right um, kind of launch content, so to speak. Um, uh, the next is, is of course, writing and, and telling that, that story uh, within positioning. So uh, how can you frame it in a way that's, that's compelling, concise, um, and resonates with, with buyers? And how can, and if you're, you're working on a solution that's maybe has multiple buyers, how can you break that positioning apart? So it's uh, buyer specific. So if you're, um, you know, selling a product that uh, interacts with marketers and IT and developers, um, you know, how can you make sure that you have specialized positioning or, or specialized messaging? And, and I do truly believe positioning and messaging are, are different. Um, I don't think we maybe talk about that enough as product marketers. Um, how can you break those apart for each of those, you know, different buyers or different personas that you're, that you're targeting? So ultimately at the end of the day, I, I would truly say positioning, um, is really what it, what it comes down to. Um, I, if I if I could, though, I would offer one more specific thing, which uh, I think a lot of product marketers maybe don't like the task of project management. But um, and I, I don't like to I also don't like to think about it in the lens of project management. But I do think we are uh, to use a, a football analogy, um, uh, given uh, here in the U.S. at least we're we're in the the uh, the playoff season. Um, uh uh, although, although the, the home team, the, the New England Patriots just lost and, and just got out. Uh, oh, but, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but, but I, I can't really complain based off the past, you know, 10 or so years. Um, uh, so, uh, so, you know, to, to use a football analogy, I think, uh, a lot of PMMs are, uh, quarterbacks, so to speak, of launches. Um, and that means, you know, guiding and ushering along a lot of various teams within marketing and possibly more broadly across your organization to, you know, getting what needs to be done for a launch done. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that means, you know, working with maybe your customer marketing team uh, to ensure that emails are created and the segmentation is done, um, you know, then, then so be it. So there are certainly elements of project management built into that. um, But I like to think about it in the, through the lens of quarterbacking a launch. Um, And, uh, and I, I think if you're looking to kind of move up the career ladder, um, then you truly need to, to nail that positioning element that, that's first and foremost, that, that is absolutely a, a, a must, must have, must do, so to speak. And then secondly, I would say quarterbacking and making sure that you can influence a lot of others across your organization and, um, unify them, uh, uh, under the umbrella of a single launch. Yeah. I like your uh, quarterback analogy there. It's a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> interestingly as well, that's, I've been doing some persona work lately um, for PMA. And one of the questions I've been asking is kind of what people's favorite part of product marketing is and what parts they don't enjoy so much. And that kind of product management admin back work is the one thing that consistently came up. Um, literally, I'd say 90% of the people that I um, did the persona interviews with but like you say, there's no getting getting around it. It's kind of essential to the role to get those launches to run so fluidly. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a bit of a bugbear for everyone. It sounds like. Yeah, for sure. I, I think a, I think a lot of, and this is pretty. This is a, a, a human condition, not necessarily a, a product marketing condition. A lot of folks, and and we hear this a lot in startup landscape. I I certainly came from that that world myself, and so maybe. Maybe I um, uh, lean towards that a little bit too much, but we hear from a lot of startup founders that, you know, they, they, they wrestle a little bit with the, like, do I do it myself or do I delegate this? Um, and, and a lot of times I think product marketers wrestle with that, that same thing where they, they take the quarterbacking approach maybe a little bit too literally and they believe that you know, they are constantly chasing people down and constantly, you know, doing things for other teams. I think a lot of that can be, um, can be delegated out. Uh, here at HubSpot, we, we use like a very centralized launch plan. We have week, uh, weekly or potentially biweekly, uh, check-ins and, and the time frame really depends on how close we are to that actual launch. Um, and, uh, we rely on those other teams to kind of own their respective updates. And we, of course, work with them to make sure that um, that stuff is getting done because that is part of being kind of the, the quarterback of the launch, so to speak. Um, but uh, but being the quarterback of the launch doesn't necessarily mean that you need to do it for other people. Yeah. Okay. That kind of like leads me nicely onto the next question. So I guess in many ways, product marketing can kind of be 
quite an overwhelming role. There's a lot of reliance in other teams and there's just a lot going on day to day with such variety. If and when you kind of get overwhelmed or you feel unfocused because there's so much going on, is there anything that you do or tell yourself to regain that composure? Yeah, great question. So um, I personally love um, uh, listening to to music. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, just alternative music and also kind of some instrumentals. Um, So, um, you know, when I can uh, and when I'm, you know, not in meetings or have a day that's kind of a, a focus day blocked out, I love to uh, throw on some headphones and, uh, uh, put in, um, put on some music, I should say, mm-hmm. um, and, and really focus in on some, some tasks. Um, I try to tackle the highest impact tasks first. Um, and, uh, and I try to, even though my to-do list is, uh, or at least feels like it's, it's miles long, um, I try to define a few key priorities for that day. Um, and if I can even get um, a, a few of those key priorities done, then that day will feel uh, very successful uh, to mm-hmm. me. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's making progress on a specific launch or um, ensuring that, uh, you know, founder reviews have happened um, for positioning or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm trying to to really push forward uh, generally up to three key priorities for, for any given day. Yeah. Um, uh, and as I can check those off uh, and, and just by the way, just because they're they're bigger priorities doesn't necessarily mean that each one of them has to involve a ton of effort or a long uh, period of time to to complete. Um uh, you know, one example could be like doing some competitive analysis. Um, and we certainly have access to some tools that can help streamline that. But it also, of course, requires some some manual work as well. Um, uh, and that could be something that I could check off. And as there's some like gratification, of course, from checking off things on your to do list. And the minute that you start checking off a few of those things, uh, you start feeling more productive. And, and it really kind of starts this this snowball effect, so to speak, to focus you in on the, the rest of your list. So. Um, if you have to start your day with, uh, you know, checking off uh, the, the to-do list for a few smaller things that you need to get done and then attacking some of those bigger things, um, then that's that's fine. But I, w- I would say there is uh, truly a snowball effect and a, a really uh, good cadence to, to getting the ball rolling um, and getting your day started with checking thing- checking some things off, making sure that you're making good progress on some key initiatives um, and and whatever you do to like disconnect from um, maybe meetings or, or or whatever else is is eating up a lot of your time or bandwidth, whether that's you know um, uh, chat apps like Slack or email, um, you know taking a break from those things uh, is is also worthwhile. Yeah, the gratification of um, checking things off a to do list could not ring more true for me either. I'm literally the type of person if I've done something that was supposed to be on my to do list but I didn't write it on my to do list. I'll write it after I've done it just so I can highlight it off. <laughs> That's how much it has a positive effect on me. <laughs> um, okay, next up, every product marketer's worst nightmare. If, hypothetically, your work hours were chopped in half as of tomorrow, where would you spend that remaining time you had left? Ooh, yeah, I think this is my worst nightmare. Um, uh, so... Yeah, th- this one's tough. Um, uh, I think um, at the end of the day, um, uh, in, in my specific position, um, I would focus a lot of time on alignment and collaboration. Um, and it's because, you know, as a product marketer, you cannot do your job in a vacuum. Um, uh, you're not going to be successful if you're not consistently interfacing with other teams throughout maybe marketing or if there are other throughout other teams throughout the entire company as well. Um, and you need to ensure that there is clear alignment, clear collaboration between maybe you and the sales and development team or you and the customer marketing team or you and the uh, maybe the, the finance team or the sales operations team. Um, and uh, without that, uh, a, a launch uh, can really fall apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um 
Uh, and at the end of the day, I think that's where I would spend a, a lot of my time. Um, uh, I, I would also spend a fair amount of my time, you know, making sure that like positioning, uh, again, just going back to the fundamentals, making sure that positioning is really solid. Um, uh, and so if I had to pick just two things, um, those would be, those would be them. Um, but yeah, it, it would be, it would be tough to, to get everything that needs to be done <laughs> as a product marketer done with, with half of the time. Um, that would be, that would be quite the challenge. Yeah, let's hope it never actually happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so we touched on the curiosity before. What aspects of product marketing would you say you're most curious about? Um, I'm curious about uh, a, a lot of things, actually. Um, I, I see a lot of product marketing. Uh, well, first and foremost, I think product marketing is starting to um, uh gain a lot more notoriety. It's starting to become more of a prevalent function within a lot of organizations, which is great to see. Um, uh, but I think, you know, how each company defines product marketing still isn't like totally standardized. Um, and so just, uh, just even, you know, figuring out what different product marketers do, um, you may have the same title as as another product marketer at another company, but you, the actual day to day work and the actual responsibilities of what you you do may be totally different. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that uh, kind of fasc- fascinates me as I think about growing a team here at HubSpot, and as I think about kind of expanding uh, expanding our roles. Mm-hmm. The other piece uh, here is you know HubSpot started as a single product company. We started with uh, our marketing product that is called Marketing Hub. Um, and we've expanded into multiple products. So we now have a CRM, we have uh, customer service tools, and we also have sales enablement and sales productivity tools. Um, and so we've expanded into multiple markets. And as a result of that, um, uh, we've started to think quite a bit about uh, solutions, something that we're, we're at least calling solutions marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've heard that term uh, uh, across other other uh, organizations and other tech companies as well. And uh, from, from at least the, from at least what I found, um, a lot of teams, a lot of solutions marketing teams are a part of the product marketing team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they fundamentally do product marketing, but they maybe do it by vertical or by persona. Um, and they're not maybe focused on one specific product, like, you know, for HubSpot that would translate into maybe marketing hub. They're focused on, uh, you know, how overall solutions can be applied to, uh, the finance sector or the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually one kind of evolution, I think, of product marketing that, that really fascinates me. I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, how product marketers, um, kind of evolve more into that. I, I view solutions marketing as almost kind of a senior function of product marketing that you kind of grow into. Um, and uh, you design very specific uh, solutions around, and they should be complementary. They shouldn't be competitive. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one as well. I can't remember who it was now, but I did a podcast not too long ago, and I think they were mentioning solutions marketing and how I think they were going or looking to go into like a reorg um, in the not too distant future, and that was one way that they were looking to kind of structure and split out their product marketing department. So I think mm-hmm. their view is when, like, yeah, I think those two departments would kind of merge and become one. Um, but, yeah, like you say, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses in the future. For sure. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, like, really exciting trends right now in product marketing, really exciting developments happening. Um, but uh, but that, that's one that I'm particularly excited about. Yep. And then next up, what would you say the best lesson is that you've learned during your time in the product marketing industry? Um, yeah, this is a great question. Um, I would say, um, let's see. One of the best lessons I, I think I, I've learned is, um, uh, the importance of concise and clear copy. Um, uh, I, when I, when I tend to write, this is just kind of a, a natural habit of, of mine, maybe. When I tend to write, I, I maybe I'm a little bit too verbose and tend to write pretty long form. 
And so from what I've learned, just, just, uh, based off, based on myself and based off my habits, um, is, uh, I'll like write a, a V1 or, or, or maybe somebody would call it a, a draft of, uh, maybe positioning or, or, or something. And then typically a V2 or a V3 or, or some version later on down the line, um, will, uh, aim to, uh, cut a lot of that out. And I'll do that, uh, specifically with, with positioning as well. Uh, and it's important, right? Because, uh, as you look at a lot of the analytics for, um, uh, product pages or different content that product marketing has created or owns, um, uh, you'll, you'll tend to find that, um, I was recently looking at some heat map, uh, heat maps for the product pages that we have, um, uh, for HubSpot and, uh, a lot of folks, you know, do look at the, uh, the kind of he- headlines or the H1s, um, for product pages, but they don't spend a ton of time there either. And so you can't have a full, you know, paragraph, uh, there because nobody's going to fundamentally read that all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I, certainly when I started my career, I didn't place enough emphasis on that. I was trying to communicate, um, the entire value, um, and, uh, I, I would do so in a way that was a bit more worthy than, um, uh, than I've learned, learned to do now. Um, and I, I've primarily learned that by looking at a lot of data and analytics and, uh, and also doing some like testing preemptively. So, uh, we at, at HubSpot at least are, are fortunate to be in a position where we have, um, a, a lot of free users of our CRM and a lot of paid users of our various paid products. Um, where we can actually test messaging in app and get a lot of views on some of those, some of that messaging or where we can, you know, run, uh, surveys and test messaging in that way. So we can proactively see how people are responding to it and proactively get feedback on messaging before, um, uh, deploying it essentially out through a launch or out to the broader market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's ultimately led to uh, a lot of great, um, uh, great copy, great messaging, um, and it's also led to our team making more informed decisions beyond just messaging as well, and using data across uh, various aspects of our of our roles. Yeah, and then out of curiosity, what does the process look like at HubSpot? So, if for example you're writing copy and you've got your kind of V1, V2, V3, V3, etc. I presume at HubSpot, do you have a team of copywriters? Is that something that you'll join forces with and it'll kind of go over to them before anything's done with it? And how much, if at all, do they have any say in the copy that product marketers write? Yeah, great question. So, um, uh, typically speaking, uh, uh, V1 is done by the individual PMM, um, and possibly, um, possibly the PMM's manager, um, will, will help out as well. Um, and, uh, I would say between V1 and 2, it, it stays pretty close to the product marketing team, um, uh, because typically those versions are relatively rough and, uh, we're still kind of ideating and still figuring out, um, you know, what is the right lead, uh, kind of value prop to, to go with, um, what is the, um, what's the best way to communicate that, um, th- things, things like that, essentially. Um, and, uh, typically between like V2, V3, um, we'll then start to communicate it to marketing leadership. And so that means, uh, some of the VPs across the team. So, uh, Megan Keeney Anderson, who, uh, was recently um noted as one of the top 50 influencers uh, by yeah. PMA. She's, Recognize she's the awesome. name. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's great and I've personally learned a, learned a ton from her. Um so you know she will uh generally speaking look at a lot of that positioning as well. Um and it will then you know go up to our uh CMO Kip Bodner um who will look at it and and by the way at each of these kind of checkpoints so to speak there will be feedback um, and we will, of course, um, uh, react and revise based off a lot of that feedback. Um, and then as a final kind of like check-in, it will go to our founders, uh, Brian Halligan and Dharmesh Shah, uh, for feedback, especially for, for key launches. So, um, 
we denote our launches in four key kind of priority categories. So uh, P1 or, or priority one is our largest uh, launch. Um, and so, for example, when we launched Service Hub, um, which has been our, our newest uh, hub uh, product, uh, that was a priority one launch because that's that's the kind of biggest launch that you can you can have, so to speak. Um, uh, and priority four launches are are very small, like incremental launches. Uh, we typically won't like write positioning for a priority four launch anyway, because it's it's typically a very small update within an existing app. Any um, so it won't necessarily need new positioning. It just needs you know a a small kind of copy tweak or or something to that nature. We'll typically only write positioning for P ones and P two launches. Mm-hmm. Um, and our executive team. Uh, and our leadership team uh, kind of reviews those uh, for those those larger launches. Yeah. To to answer your question though about copywriters, um, uh, I, I think that's part of the distinction between um, uh, at least here on spot. That's part of the distinction between positioning and messaging. Um, and whereas the PNM will uh, will fundamentally create the positioning is responsible for the positioning. Um, and we work with the, we work very closely with the copywriting team and the creative team to create that messaging. Okay, cool. So, um, so we'll like, we'll essentially turn our positioning over to them and turn that narrative over to them. And then we will work very closely with them to craft what that messaging is. So it's, it's kind of this, this joint process to, to create that. Okay. Thank you. That's really interesting. And then penultimate question. What do you think the biggest problem the industry faces either right now or in the future is? Um, it's a great question. Um, I think, uh, I think for, for product marketers, um, uh, a lot is being asked, asked of us, um, um, Recently, we are, um, uh, from all the product partners I talk to, we're gaining more and more responsibility. Um, one of the, the biggest, uh, I would say challenges or, or problems that we face right now is there's, there's probably no clean way to, um, to prove the, the overall value of product marketing outside of a specific product launch. Uh, there are very clear metrics. Or at least I hope there are very clear metrics for everyone listening to this, um, that you have for a product launch, um, whether that's, you know, revenue or, or new users that you're generating or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but, um, but outside of a product launch, how do you measure the overall success of a product marketer? We certainly have some thoughts on that, um, here at HubSpot. I personally have some thoughts on that. Um, but I don't think there is, uh, any, you know, industry wide accepted norm um for this um if you are a product marketer who is um you know responsible for a product line or specific app or specific feature um then maybe that's a little bit easier because you could look at adoption of that specific feature you could look at uh, sales of that specific product um but if you're responsible for a broader cross section of tools um or maybe you're not just responsible for one product, but you're responsible for multiple. Um, I think that question becomes a little bit more fuzzy, a little bit more murky. Um, uh, so um, overall, like as we think about uh, more investment, uh, you know, CMOs and broader marketing teams and product teams as well, putting more investment into product marketing, um, I think that will require uh, more definition around uh you know how product marketing is being measured um and the value that's being generated as a result of that uh mm-hmm. a lot of again a lot of organizations can clearly see that from launches but outside of launches uh what is what does that exactly look like yeah and so you mentioned kind of you slash hubspot have thoughts on these kpis outside of launches are these is this something you've got in place already and if so are you able to share what those kpis are yeah um so uh, a lot of a lot of times, so so uh, I'll, I'll back up a step and say for for launches, um, we have very specific uh, goals that we we work on. So we work with our marketing, uh, sales, and product ops teams respectively, 
to come up with uh, a, a kind of unified uh, business goal um, for specific launches. And that might be uh, a revenue specific goal that might be generating uh, leads or MQLs or whatever the case may be. Um, it, it really depends on what the product is. So um, just last year, uh, for example, we launched um, free email uh, within our free CRM. And so clearly for, for that launch, um, we're not looking to necessarily generate MQLs because this is a free tool. So we're looking to generate users and adoption. And so the the goals for that launch were very much uh, centered around around that. Whereas for a, a paid product, um, I would say it's much more kind of revenue focused. Yeah. Um, uh, and so a, a lot of goals are, are certainly tied to to those launches. I, I just want to be be clear about that because certainly we have multiple product lines. We have product marketers working across all of those product lines and launches consistently happening um, on different cycles for each of those product lines. So all of our product marketers right now are working on various launches. And so um, I would be remiss to say that um, that we are, are not measured to some extent, at least based off um, uh, based off those those launches. Uh, outside of launches, though, um, uh, we're looking at um, uh, we're looking at like internal NPS. We're looking at like how is um, how easy is this person to like work with? Um, how are they ushering along a a product launch? We we talked about. Um, or, or even a campaign. Um, uh, we talked about quarterbacking a, a launch, and uh, we can look at very specific kind of steps within that to say, um, you know, was was that like able to achieve its full vision, or did it get cut short, and why did it get cut short? So we do a lot of like internal uh, communication and surveying and and discussions around. Um, you know, did did something truly reach its its full potential? Um, and it's it, it's difficult because it's not KPIs in the sense where it's hard and fast metrics where you either hit a revenue target or you don't. Um, some of this is is um, is qualitative where it's you know based off conversation and multiple uh, people's uh, feelings or thoughts on a specific topic, but ultimately it does lead to uh, more informed uh, decisions and uh, kind of feedback for. Uh, the various product marketers on the team. Um, and that's one of the ways we look at the various um, kind of levels we have of product marketers. So it starts at associate product marketing manager and goes all the way up to principal product marketing manager. Um, and so we expect kind of different things um, uh, from those different levels. Uh, whereas an associate, um, you know, product marketer is working on positioning for typically like a P3 or P4 type launch, um, or they're working on, you know, one, uh, key aspect of a launch, such as internal enablement, um, uh, and we're looking at you know how many how many HubSpotters as as we as we call ourselves, um, how many HubSpotters like got involved in that internal enablement? How many were sharing the word about uh, about a launch? How many were excited to to talk about that in sales calls? And we'll we'll look at that based off the sales analytics tools that we have access to. Um, uh, versus maybe a, a senior PMM or a principal PMM, you know, how did they do uh, wrangling a, a, an overall launch or an overall campaign effort? So outside of even outside of launches, a lot of our product, product marketers are working on various campaigns that are revenue driving, um, uh, or or have some some driver that may not necessarily be a be a product launch specifically, um, and we're looking at metrics there as well. And I guess regardless of the product marketing role, would you say these KPIs constantly evolve anyway and would tie up? So if the company's objectives change, maybe the product marketer's KPIs will change in line with those kind of new objectives? A hundred percent, yes. So um, one of the things I just feel fortunate uh, about here working here at HubSpot is our senior leadership team um, uh, from you know Brian Halligan and Darmesh, um, all the way throughout all of our C-level executives, um, they create a document at the end of each year for the following year um, that that they call the the M spot. Uh, M spot stands for uh, mission, strategy, um, uh, omissions. Um, uh, sorry, mission, strategy, priorities, omissions, and targets. Um, uh, and um, 
based off that document, we can clearly, and, and by the way, that, that document is for the overarching company. So, so they're setting the direction for the company and that document is already out internally, um, for 2020. And so we know, um, what the, the direction is and we know what the goals are for 2020 for the overall organization. Um, and we, we will then like ladder up to that essentially and set kind of our, our own goals and we can align ourselves with that. And that will change quarter by quarter. Um, you know, if, if one goal is maybe a sales goal and we have a big launch in a specific quarter, then we will, um, the next quarter we could, we could certainly adjust to be something a, a little bit more specific. So we do certainly adjust and flex. Um, and it's not necessarily on a quarterly basis. It can also be on a, on a PMM by PMM basis because again, we are focused on different tools, different personas, different apps. Uh, some are free, some are paid. Um, so, so there can be, be varying goals that ultimately all ladder up to this, this broader, uh, direction. So we're all, um, uh, kind of aligned. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then you mentioned a few questions again, one of your answers that a lot is kind of asked of us product marketers and they've been given more and more responsibility in recent years kind of leads me nicely onto my last question in that one problem a lot of product marketers can have, especially people who are new to the industry, is saying no. Um, it's kind of a catch-22 sometimes. Sometimes, and I've heard this a few times in previous podcasts, you can go from people not understanding the role and value of product marketing to people then understanding the role and value of product marketing. But then you get so many inbound requests because they finally understand how much you can do to help them. So is there anything that you say you still struggle to say no to? Yeah, for sure. I, I, um, I'm bad at this in general. I, I will be very transparent and say that this is not my strongest suit. Um, uh, just personally speaking, I like to, uh, kind of set goals for myself within a year. I, I don't like to call them resolutions because a lot of people give up resolutions. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the gym is probably packed right now in, in January. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in February, it will, it will, uh, kind of ease out a bit, so to speak. Um, um, and so I like to set goals for myself for, for a given year, just, just personally speaking. And those goals certainly cover some, some professional, um, things as well. Uh, and, and saying no, uh, to, to more things or, or, or learning to, to say no in a better way is, is, uh, certainly one of my goals for, for 2020, uh, just to be, to be upfront and transparent here. Um, uh, that, that being said, um, what I have learned is that's, um, because product marketing is such a strategic function, we can get pulled into so many various things that it can be, uh, it can be difficult. Um, and so, um, uh, th- there have been times in the past where, um, you know, some, some group, um, and I, I don't want to call out any group or any individual in particular, but some group will, because they know that we're responsible for positioning, um, they then, uh, you know, pull us in and ask us to, you know, write copy for a specific email. Um, uh, and over time I've learned to say no to, to some of those things to say, um, you know, listen, hey, you, like, you hear, you have the position here, like you can base, uh, writing a lot of the copy based off that positioning. Uh, and I'm happy to be a resource that you can like check with if you want another pair of eyes to review the copy that you wrote, but I don't necessarily need, like, need to write that myself because the positioning should act as uh, essentially a guide for you to to create whatever content you need whether that's a blog post or an email or 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 whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um and so I've, I've learned to say no to some of those like more ancillary requests that are based off of the resources that we as a as a team or or as individuals are producing um and i'm still learning to maybe say no to to, to meetings but that is certainly another piece that um that i'm working on for for 2020 and finding a way to make sure that i'm i'm using my time strategically um and i i want to to be clear i want to be in meetings that um that product marketing should be in and that i can strategically add value to um but i want to be sure as well that you know we're not just spending a lot of time in meetings and not able to um uh, make progress or, or help quarterback a campaign or a launch or, or some effort um, because we spent uh, too much of our time in meetings as well. Yeah, meetings can be dangerous sometimes, I find, because sometimes you go into meeting after meeting after meeting, and then each meeting has X many takeaways that you need to go and act on. But then you go into another meeting, 
and then it's just a build-up of takeaways with no time to actually act on them. Um, but I guess that's, I think that's probably a problem in the industry, not just limited to product marketing. Yeah, yeah, you're entirely right. And and a lot of it really depends on, um, you know, the meeting organizer, whether that's you or somebody else and the other people in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you're a participant in a meeting um, and you notice, you know, nobody else is taking notes, um, you know, don't hesitate to, like, step up and take notes and send out, you know, action items or, or whatever you want to call them uh, afterwards, because, um uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You can run from back to back to back meetings and without somebody actively taking that step to record what the next steps are and what, you know, the outcome of that meeting was, mm-hmm. it can be really, really difficult to, uh, to get to the end of that. And then you're kind of left scratching your head a little bit saying, Oh shoot, like what was I supposed to do from that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I totally understand and, and I, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I guess as well, that's a good point. It probably takes doing something like that, though, to realize, because I bet all of us, even to this day, have a lot of meetings that don't even need to exist. And I think until you actually do an exercise like that and kind of take a step back and look back, what did we learn coming out of that meeting or what takeaways or were they even any takeaways? And I think if you don't do something like that, you can probably sit in a recurring meeting for God knows how long until you actually realize it's a bit dud. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And- and, and and ideally, uh, I mean, I hope every company's culture is this way, um, but ideally, like, regardless of whether you're junior or senior or, um, you know, work in a, a role where you feel like you have the influence to, to speak up, uh, you should feel confident speaking up to whomever the organizer of the meeting is and say, like, do we really need this? Like, could this be an email? Um, could this be a quick five minute conversation mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're absolutely right. Some, some meetings don't need to be meetings and they, they could be very quick decisions that just need to be made. Um, and, and maybe in a, in a particular case, everyone needs to be in alignment to make the right decision mm-hmm. but that can quickly be done um, without, you know, an hour on the calendar, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that's all my questions today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and having on the show, Jeffrey, and thank you very much for giving up some of your time for us. Thank you so much, Barney. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate everything that you are doing for the Product Marketing Alliance and um, uh, really enjoying being a part of the the group in the Slack channel. Um, So thank you so much for all that you're doing and the entire team. Oh, you're very welcome. It's very nice to hear those words. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.